All right, well, welcome to part four of this series, Prepare the Way. We're building up to Easter, and I don't know about you, that guy on the video looked a little funny to me. I'm so glad to be back in live and in person. I was not preaching the last couple weeks as we had spring break. It's just great to be back in the house and back in the building. And we've got a powerful time today in God's word as we're learning about how his power connects to our lives. Uh, maybe you're watching on our live stream right now or you're right here in the room. I don't know what's going on in your life where you could use the power of God, but he has an encouraging word for you today. Not only a word, but an experience if you'll open your heart to him. Well, I know all of us have relationships, and if you're anything like me, there are times in your relationships where you have fights. And uh, my wife, Mel, and I, we've been married for almost 12 years now, and when we look back on our marriage, we have a few fights that I call epic fights. These are like historic fights that we both remember, even though they were years ago. And maybe you've had a fight like this if you're dating someone or in your marriage or in your home or hopefully not at your workplace, but that happens sometimes. I got to tell you guys about this epic fight that Mel and I were remembering this last week. Thankfully, we're at a place in our marriage now we can look back at these and we can laugh. And this fight happened when our oldest was about two years old. He was a toddler. And it's that season in life where as young parents, you're being woken up in the middle of the night every night by crying babies. And so you're both operating on chronic sleep deprivation. So you're both a little bit on edge as it is. I was in a really busy season with my job out in Arizona. So we decided we'd take a vacation and take a little road trip out to the coast of California. We went to this little city called Oceanside, California. We rented a little house and we got there and, you know, things were pretty good, but it was still just kind of stressful with the kids. And does this happen to any of you that your biggest fights happen when you're on vacation? Maybe it's only me, but this used to happen, especially when our marriage was in a, a rougher place. And it seemed like every time we'd go on vacation, we'd get in a huge fight. And then I'd get even angrier because one, the fight is depressing in and of itself. But then I'd also be like, man, we took time off work and spent all this money to come here and just have a terrible fight. Okay. So Mel and I were reminiscing about this epic fight and we found a picture from the day of the fight. Okay, here it is. This obviously was taken before the fight because we all look pretty happy here, okay? Now, Jack at this time, he was way into Thomas the Train. And he was so into trains and here in California, they had this train called the Coaster that goes up and down the coast. And so every day when he'd see it, he was like, can we please go on a train ride? So we decided, yeah, we'll take Jack for a ride on the coaster. So we buy our tickets, we get on the coaster, and we go a couple stops away from where we were staying and we get off the train. And right when we get off, Mel sees that there's another train going back up to where we're staying. And she says, we should just get right on that train and go back to the place we're staying. And I'm in vacation mode and I'm like, you know what? Let's just explore a little. Let's see what's out there, okay? So that train leaves. And we start walking around and we very soon discover that in my, my great judgment, we have um, exited in the middle of a residential neighborhood. There's, there's no ocean, there's no restaurants, there's no coffee shops, it's just houses, like houses, houses, suburbia. And the sun is blaring down on us, it's probably like 85 degrees. We've got this huge stroller with the giant diaper bag and the toddler, and we're just walking around this neighborhood in the baking sun, getting dehydrated. And so we decide to go back to the train station. And as we're making our way back, 
There's another train pointed in the direction we need to go. And Mel says, John, hurry up. I really don't want to miss that train. And I say, oh, I'm sure there's more trains coming. There's no rush. And we take our time and we see that train leave. And then we look at the schedule and we realize the next train is in like three hours. And at that moment, Mel was so mad at me. I thought, the day is done, probably my week is done. Like, this is just, it's over. And, and I remember thinking, like, what are we going to do for three hours sitting here? I remember we went back to walk through the neighborhood again. I just remember walking behind Mel, pushing the stroller, seeing the back of her, and just thinking, I'm never going to see the front of her again. <laughs> like, she's done with me. This was before Uber or Lyft, so we couldn't just call a car up to get a ride. Uh, we find on Google Maps or something, the closest restaurant is three miles away. Well, we have three hours. So we walk three miles to the restaurant. We get some food. We get some drinks. Then we walk three miles back with the stroller, with everything. We finally do catch a train. But oh my goodness, it was one of our most epic fights, and I'm glad I can laugh at it now. Well, I don't know if you've ever missed a train or missed a bus or missed a plane, but I want to ask you this today. Where do you feel like you've missed the train with God? In other words, where in your life do you feel like, I need the power of God, I need the help of God, but every time I show up, it's like God just left. I mean, I still believe in him, and I know his power is a thing, but it's kind of out there and abstract. It's been a long time since I've experienced his power. It seems like where I really need his help for my health or for my internal peace or for a decision or for my relationships, where I need his power and help, it seems like I'm walking up to the platform and he's on his way out. Maybe you're experiencing this in your marriage. Maybe you're experiencing this in your career. Maybe you're experiencing this with your children or someone you love and they're making choices that you're not comfortable with or that are bad for them. And you just think, God, I, I need your power in my life and I believe in you, but I'm not experiencing it. Here's another way to word the question. Where is it that you need the power of God? Think of that area where you need the power of God and then how can you actually catch the train? <laughs> How can you actually connect to God's power for that situation, for the thing that's most broken in your life or most in need of repair? Does anyone else want to know the answer to this question? Anyone else have some tension or some problem in your life where it's like, God, I would really like to catch the train and experience your power in my life? Well, as we always do here, we're going to open the Word of God to answer this question. And we're actually going to look at a story that happened last night, 2,000 years ago. This happened on Saturday night before the Friday when Jesus was crucified. One of the things I love about following Jesus is that he's not just a mythical figure that was created by some religious people. Jesus is a historically documented man who lived on earth. We know when he lived. We know where he lived. And we actually know a whole lot of details. We know that he was crucified in Jerusalem on this upcoming Friday, which is called Good Friday for Christians. And it was a religious festival at that time called Passover. And it's all very well documented. And we're going to read this story. And we know for a fact this story happened on the Saturday night before Jesus 
was crucified. Maybe you've heard the story before, but you might not have realized this was just five days before Jesus was crucified. The story starts in John chapter 12, and we're going to see in this story that there's a bunch of people sitting at a table with Jesus. Some of them catch the train. Some of them experience his power. Others completely miss the train, even though they're all sitting at the same table. We're going to learn from it how we can connect to the power of God. Story starts like this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Steve Reeves, our former lead pastor, teach us from the previous chapter about Lazarus. Lazarus is a guy who was friends with Jesus and he got sick. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus and they said, our brother's sick. Jesus, will you come and heal him? And Jesus did not respond. He didn't come and heal them. And we talked about the times where we feel disappointed with Jesus because we say, I need you, and he doesn't come right away. But then when Jesus did show up, Lazarus had died. He'd actually been buried. He was in his grave. He'd been in there for four days. And when Jesus shows up at the funeral, it does not go like a normal funeral. Because Jesus says, hey, open up the grave. And so they do. And everyone can smell the decomposing body of Lazarus's corpse. It's a completely dead body. And Jesus speaks the same God who spoke, let there be light. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And this corpse starts to twitch and move and stand up. And this corpse rises to life. And Lazarus is miraculously risen from the dead by the power of Jesus. And thousands of people hear about this. In fact, hundreds of people were at the funeral, uh, not celebration, but the funeral gathering. And word starts to get out that this Jesus, not only can he heal the blind, but he can actually raise the dead. So here's the setting. That same Lazarus, Jesus is now at a dinner at Lazarus's house. I mean, can you imagine it? Can you imagine being at a dinner and, and seeing someone three or four seats away and you were at their funeral, you saw their dead body, you even smelled the, the smell when their grave was opened up, and now you're watching them drink wine and eat food and laugh at jokes and pat people on the back. This is what's going on in this story. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Well, Martha, the sister of Lazarus, she served. Lazarus was eating there with them. Then Mary, this is the other sister of Lazarus. And by the way, Mary, last week, she was so disappointed and disillusioned with Jesus. And maybe you're still there in your life. Maybe there's been pain and discouragement and things have not gone the way you expected. Maybe you were still disillusioned with Jesus. Maybe that's where you are right now. That's how Mary was for weeks and weeks. But now her brother is raised from the grave. And just as deep as she was disillusioned with Jesus, now she's overwhelmed in worship that, wow, Jesus is God. Jesus has the power to raise dead people to life. Jesus, he didn't heal my brother when I wanted him to, but he raised my brother from the dead. And Mary just becomes overcome with emotion about Jesus' power and she takes this 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. We're going to see later that this perfume, it was worth one year's wages. So to us, this would be tens of thousands of dollars in this little jar. And she's going to take it. It's made from this essence of nard. I have a really quick little aside here, okay? I looked up what is nard. Because to me, that's one of the things I love about the Bibles. I'm curious. And I'm like, what is nard? 
So look it up. It comes from the mountains of India. It's essentially a really expensive perfume. And I'm reading the scientific definition of it. And there I see these words that were completely unexpected. In the scientific definition, it says that nard is an essential oil. Now, I don't know if you've heard about essential oils, but I, I do not have a public position about essential oils. Okay, I'm not for them or against them, all right? No one send me any, any essential oil hate mail, okay? I'm neither for nor against, but I'm reading the scientific definition of nard, and I'm like, oh my goodness, the essential oil people just got a Bible verse. <laughs> this was an essential oil. And I guess for those of you who are into essential oils, you'll relate that this was a year's wages. This was a lot of money, okay? <laughs> All right, on with the story, okay. So she anoints Jesus' feet. She takes this tens of thousands of dollars worth of this perfume and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. And then this seems weird to us, but culturally this is something that would happen to kings and rulers that in this act of worship to Jesus as a God, she not only pours out her most valuable possession, but with her own hair, so this is intimate but appropriate. She's wiping his feet. I mean, it's just this very, very intimate expression of complete worship, complete devotion, and the whole house is filled with the fragrance of Mary's worship. I mean, what a moment, right? Could you imagine being there? You're at dinner with a guy who was dead. Jesus is at the table who you know is God. There's this just amazingly emotional worship happening and look how easy it is for a person to completely miss the train of God's power. Next verse, Judas is there and he's not seeing any of this spiritual stuff. All he sees is dollar signs when he looks at the world. Judas the disciple who would betray Jesus in just a few days. He says, hey, that perfume, that was worth a year's wages. So it should have been sold and the money given to the poor, right? Sounds really religious, really high and mighty, but as the next verse says, it's not that Judas cared about the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciple's money bag, he often stole some for himself. So Jesus replies to Judas, leave Mary alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You see, Jesus has been declaring to his followers that as almighty God, he's gonna have to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's been saying, this moment's coming where I'm gonna be sacrificed. But even in this moment, they still don't fully get it. There's only one person in the room who really realizes that Jesus is gonna be dying on a cross soon, and that's Mary. She's the one person in the room who was completely dialed into him. And incidentally, this essential oil, this fragrant perfume, it was a perfume used for burials. This was a foreshadowing. Mary was that in tune with Jesus. He says, you'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Well, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, these are the people outside the house in this little town of Bethany. It's about two hours from Jerusalem. All the people flocked to see Jesus and to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. You know, this is back in the day before there was TV or the internet or cell phones or even movie theaters. And when there was something exciting happening in a town, all the people would come out because that was the entertainment. This is how circuses, P.T. Barnum, all that stuff came about because people didn't really have a lot of entertainment. So if you heard there was something interesting happening in town, you'd go see. 
So Jesus is here. This is the same town where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And now word starts to get out. We saw Jesus. Jesus was on his way in. And, and, and through word of mouth, it spreads. And these thousands of people start to gather around this house. They want to see Lazarus. Because here's the thing. Lazarus being raised from the dead, it was seen by hundreds of people. And so those people told their friends, their relatives. So you've got people who are like, my brother told me, my brother was at Lazarus's funeral. I, I know this happened. I gotta go see him. I gotta see Lazarus for myself. I wanna see this Jesus teacher who can raise people from the dead. Well, there's these leading priests, these very religious people who are actually opposed to God. Often religious people are. These leading priests decided to kill Lazarus. They're so threatened because all these people are believing in Jesus on account of Lazarus. In fact, the next verse says this, it was because of Lazarus that many people had deserted their old way of life and belief and were now believing in Jesus. And I love that verse because you see, the Bible says that before we believe in Jesus, we're actually dead spiritually. I know that might sound a little bit morbid, but here's what I know in my life. Before I believed in Jesus, I was dead spiritually. What that means is I didn't have the power to do right things. There were a lot of right things that I knew, oh, I should do that in my relationships or I shouldn't do that bad thing, but I was powerless to do what's right. And maybe you're here and you feel like there's an addiction in my life or there's a thought thing or there's, I know what's right, but I don't have the power to do it. That's because we're dead spiritually before we believe in Jesus. But the moment you believe in Jesus, he raises you to newness of life, and you now have the power to do what's right. And as you follow Jesus, he continues to bring back to life all the different areas in you that are still dead. And here's why I love this verse, because just like Lazarus, people saw him dead, then they saw the change that he was alive, they believed in Jesus as a result. We are all Lazaruses who've believed in Jesus. And as we go out into our neighborhoods and into our schools and into our families and into our workplaces, as we follow Jesus, people around us, they will see something different in us. There's one guy in our church, really strong believer now. Five years ago, he was not a Christian. He was led to the Lord by one of you who works with him. And I remember when I asked him, what was it that, that made you realize you needed God? He said, well, there was a connection point person who worked for me at my company and he had a piece that I wanted a piece of because there was something different in him. And so there's this inspiration to me in this of like, you know what, the new life that's in me, I'm not perfect, I still make mistakes, but because of Jesus in me, I'm a new creation. And my neighbors, my coworkers, people around me, they can see the difference. Well, Mary didn't miss the train. In this dinner party story that we looked at, Mary caught the power of God and she connected to it. And so I wanna share with you from Mary's example five ways to be sure that you don't miss the power of God. Wherever it is in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, maybe it's very internal in your emotions that you need the power of God. There's five things you can do today to make sure you don't miss the power of God. And here's the first one, to remember where you've seen God's power in the past. Remember where you've seen God's power in the past. So interesting to me that Judas is sitting at this table with a man who he saw raised from the dead and he's already kind of forgotten about it. 
Now we're not told much about what Peter and James and John and the other guys were doing during this time, but they kind of seem like they're in the middle, right? Judas is completely missing it. Mary's completely dialed in. We don't know if Peter and John, like were they thinking about the food? Were they thinking about the flavor of the wine? Were they thinking about the crowds of people outside? We don't know what they were thinking about, but we know they weren't as dialed in as Mary was. And it's this reminder that, you know, really all through God's story of dealing with people like you and me, most people, including myself, we have a very short memory when it comes to God doing miracles. Very often, God can do a miracle. He can give us a breakthrough or give us a healing or sustain us through something difficult. And if you're like me, it only takes a few days or weeks and you forget about it. And then if you have a bad day, you think, oh, is me, where's God? And so easily we forget how God has worked in the past, but Mary didn't. Mary has not lost the wonder that her Jesus, who she worships as God, he raised my brother from the dead. She hasn't forgotten that. She's still completely in the moment of what he has done in the past. And if you feel like God's power is distant in your life, I would encourage you to start by remembering where you've experienced his power in the past. I know for me, I think back to times very often when I experienced God's power was when I was in suffering. I had a a health condition where I had these debilitating stroke-like headaches and when I would stand up in front of a group of people, sometimes I'd start to slur my speech, half my body would go numb, I'd have to go to the hospital and I remember in that time wondering, will I ever just be able to function like a normal person again? And you know what, now there's days that I have a bad day and I completely forget God's power, he sustained me through that. And by his power in two years, I haven't had one of those episodes by his grace. Now I know if I have another one, he'll get me through it. But I remember how hopeless it was in that time and he got me through it. I remember how broken I was before Jesus really had control of my heart. I joked earlier about me and Mel's marriage and that epic fight we had, but I remember a season in our marriage where it was one epic fight after another. And we knew we were committed to each other, but we were both pretty sure our life was going to be terrible because it's just like, we're just going to have to endure this thing. Like we're stuck together and we don't even like each other anymore. It felt like that. It felt that hopeless. And now God's got us at this place where it's just like, man, there's no one I'd rather hang out with than her. And, And same her for me. And it's, he brought us through that. He transformed that. So I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe he carried you through cancer treatment. Maybe he walked with you when one of your parents passed away. Maybe there was a time where something in your life was so hopeless, so broken, and he got you through it. It wasn't necessarily a one-day miracle, but he sustained you. Can you remember some of those times? Can you remember how God's worked in the past? I remember when I first left my career in the news industry and I became a pastor to a little church of 40 people. I remember the very first Easter weekend there. I remember this guy who was sitting in the back row named Stuart Hopkins. And as I shared Jesus' power to break the chains in our lives and to set captives free, Stuart raised his hand and he believed in Jesus for the first time. And I saw Jesus raise Stuart, who was spiritually dead, to a new life. And I saw his life transform. And there's times where I've got to stop in the busyness and in the discouragement of life. And I've got to remember the Stuarts. I've got to remember the Lazaruses. You know, we're a room full of people who most of us have been raised from the dead and we can forget that. We can forget what we'd be addicted to, how broken, how much worse our lives would be if not for the transforming power of Jesus. 
You know, in 2018, last year, did you know that in this place, God raised from the dead 331 people? 331 who placed their faith in Jesus for the first time. Did you know that this year already dozens of people have been raised from the dead? And I'm completely believing that this God who's sovereign and all-powerful, he responds to our faith, he responds to our obedience. And as we invite people to gather here for our seven Easter services, I know there's dozens if not hundreds of people who God is gonna raise from the dead this Easter. Don't forget how he's worked in the past. Second way that Mary didn't miss the power of God and that you can connect into the power of God today is to answer this question. Have I been fixated on something smaller than God's power? We saw Judas and God's power is in the room. Why did he miss it? He missed it because he was fixated on money in Judas's case. You know, like any sin in our lives, this probably started as a, a little pet of greed that Judas had, but he kept feeding that greed and it kept getting bigger and bigger. And eventually Judas got to the place where money became a lens through which he saw everything. He couldn't look at a person without seeing dollar signs. And he became so fixated on his greed and his money that literally he's sitting with Jesus and a man who's been raised from the dead, and all he can see in the situation is money. And to me, you know, it's a reminder that this happens to all of us. Sometimes it's an outright sin like greed or jealousy or unforgiveness or lust or bitterness. Sometimes it's an outright sin. Sometimes it's something that's not sinful, but we're just so zoomed in on it. We're so zoomed in on this one little thing that we completely miss what God's doing around us. And we're like, God, where's your power? And he's like, it, it's literally sitting next to you at the table. You're just, you gotta lift your eyes up and look at it. You've been so fixated on something smaller. I mean, I know for me, like, that was a super convicting idea in this passage and a really convicting question to answer because there's lots of smaller things, even things that, that aren't sinful, but we can get so fixated on them. You know, every day when you and I wake up, there's a few basic questions that we're all trying to answer. Like, what's my identity? Who am I? How valuable am I? Am I safe? Am I secure? What's my purpose? Where's my meaning? Where's my significance? And even as we follow Jesus, we can so easily start to look to other things to answer those questions. And so if we're not careful to answer the question of, am I loved, am I valuable, we can start to look to the people around us. Maybe your immediate family, maybe people on social media, maybe your network of friends, and really you're finding your identity and your value in them. And that in and of itself, that might not be a sinful thing, but you're missing out on what it is to find your identity in, in God. What it is to wake up and look in the mirror and say, who am I? Well, I'm the heir to the greatest fortune in human history. That's who I am. Who am I? I'm a son or a daughter of the king. Who am I? I'm completely forgiven and made new and adopted into the family of God. Who am I? I am called with a purpose and a mission and I'm invincible. No power in heaven or on hell or in earth could stop me today because God has placed me, the God of heaven on earth for a mission, for a purpose. That's who I am and I find my identity in him. So I don't have to be codependent on the people around me to tell me that I look good or sound good. 
And all of us every day, we're, we're looking, and if, if we're not careful, we start to look to material things or to our net worth or to our GPA or our job title or our image or success or relationships. We can get just fixated on these other things. Sometimes the thing itself is not sinful, but we get so fixated on it that we're not allowing God to be our identity, Jesus to be our purpose, our significance, our meaning, and we're the ones missing out as a result God's power is one or two feet away from us, but we're missing it because we're just fixated on smaller things. You know, oftentimes the person who's most in tune with God is not the person you'd expect. And I I just love this scene of this story that we're in because there's a lot of famous spiritual people here. There's Peter, the apostle. There's John, the beloved apostle. There's James. I mean, all three of those guys would write books of the Bible. But in this moment, at this dinner with Lazarus, they're not the ones most in tune with God. It's Mary. Mary's the one who's most in tune with God. How can you be that person? How can you be that person in your family or in your workplace or in your group of friends? How can you be that person who you're the one who's the most in tune with God? Well, in my experience, those are people who ask God to open their eyes. And that's the third thing. We see that Mary had eyes to see Jesus. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I do want God's power in my life. I do want to catch the train. I mean, yeah, there's this decision or this emotion or this situation from the past or this regret, this shame, whatever it is, I need God's power. Well, one, remember what he's done in the past. Two, make sure you're not fixated on something else. And then just flat out ask him. Say, God, would you open my eyes? I want to see you. I need to see your power. I need to see your presence. Would you open my eyes? One of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's a very simple verse, Psalm 119, says this, open my eyes to see wonderful truths in your word. This is talking about scripture. Sometimes people ask me when I read a passage, like, whoa, how'd you see that in the passage? Well, the answer is usually that I just prayed this, like, God, Show me, speak to me. You know, if you've gotten one of the life application study Bibles that we encourage you to get here, or if you're reading your Bible on your YouVersion app, or when you gather here in church, you can pray this. You can say, God, would you open my eyes? And it's a prayer that he always answers. And we can pray this as we go out into our community this week. God, open my eyes so that when I see my neighbors and my coworkers and when I pass people in the store, I don't just see them as someone who's in the way and now I have to wait in line because that other human exists and what a pain. But instead, I see them as a soul and I realize, man, they might be one day away from suicide. They might be one day away from bankruptcy, one day away from prison, one day away from divorce. And God engineered my path to intersect with theirs because they need some hope. They need light. They need someone to to say, hey, did you know there's an Easter service coming up? We got these Easter invites that you can grab on your way out. Last year at Easter, there was a person who came to one of our seven services, believed in Jesus, is now following Jesus. Their life is forever changed. And the way they got invited, I don't know what store, if it was Meijer or Walmart or Target, I forget which, but it was some big box store. And one of you who's a little bit crazy like me walked up to them, total stranger, and just said, uh, hey, we'd love to have you at our Easter service. And that was it. The person still doesn't know who the person in our church was who invited them, but their life changed forever because that person just had eyes to see. Every person in our community needs the hope of Jesus. You know what I love about Easter? 
this upcoming weekend is we can come in here and we can experience the power of God in two specific ways. One, we bring dead people in here and we see them raised to life. And secondly, we bring the dead areas in our hearts and in our lives. And we see that this power in the name of Jesus, it's alive today. And it can still set free the areas of your life that seem broken or seem hopeless. I wonder where do you need to be set free? Where do you need a resurrection this Easter? Ask God even now, God, open my eyes. Show me, maybe I've become complacent. Maybe I've become apathetic. Maybe there's some hurts in my life that I've just stuffed down and I've just thought, you know what? That's just how life is. It's never gonna get better. I'm just not even gonna deal with it. And God wants you to open that thing up so he can show you his power. So he can show you that he can fix that. He can work in that. He can sustain you through that. And you don't have to look to a substitute to fulfill your purpose or your identity, he can fix that for you. Well, when I think of having eyes to see God at work, I think of a brother in our church named Jared. This time a year ago, Jared didn't know if he was gonna live or die. Uh, Jared's a medical doctor and he actually works in the area. If you go in for an MRI or a scan of your brain, he's one of the doctors who reads those scans. So Jared was at work around this time a year ago, and at the office, they got this new scanning machine to scan people's brains. Jared thought he was in great health. He thought life was normal at the time. And they said, hey, we need a few volunteers to do a brain scan so we can calibrate this machine. So Jared goes in, they scan his head, and then here's what the scan showed. Uh, This is a tumor in the middle of Jared's brain. So he started that day thinking, You know, young, healthy, beginning of a great career, beautiful kids, wife, amazing life. That's how the day started. And then at the office, he finds out there's a tumor in my brain. And Jared, for about two months, lived knowing that a surgery was coming up and that he might not wake up from that surgery. Or he might wake up and be unable to speak or unable to walk or unable to work. I remember praying with Jared in the days leading up to that surgery, and he had all the full emotions that you or I would have, fear, anxiety, tears. But in all of that storm of emotion, he somehow saw God. He had eyes to see God. And I remember praying with Jared and him being like, you know what, John, I know God's not the author of evil. And I know this tumor's not from him, it's from Satan and from a fallen world, but if God allowed this tumor to be in my brain, then God has a plan to use it for good. And he was just like, I'm believing that God's gonna use this in the lives of my coworkers. I'm believing that God's gonna use this in my family. And I remember our elders here, we gathered around Jared, we anointed him with oil, and we just prayed for God's hand of healing and sustaining and that this surgery would just go over the top good. And by God's grace, two weeks after that surgery, Jared was back at work. Here's a picture of Jared and his family recently. So thankful for God's power in the past. God's power, he sustained Jared through that. And Jared is living out. He had eyes to see God in the trial. And he's living out what we're learning because this week he took time to remember. You see, it was a week ago Friday that he had this surgery. Here's a thank you note that he wrote. He said, uh, John, this Friday, April 12th, marks the one year anniversary 
since the surgery to remove my brain tumor. What a year it's been. He says, this opportunity, this opportunity has brought my family closer to each other than ever before, and more importantly, closer to God. Having that brain tumor allowed me to share my faith at the workplace and open conversations of faith with colleagues who had never before heard about the grace of Jesus. Jared says, in my 30 years of living in Brownsburg, the town has continued to grow at breakneck speed. However, the town has never felt smaller than it did after you shared my story on social media. Literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of people and their churches were praying for me. To be this up close and personal with the power of the Holy Spirit has left me in awe. I feel like the man in Jesus' parable who's been blessed to get five talents. I pray that I'm a good steward with the blessings I've been given and that I continue to reflect God's light in a dimming world. And then he goes on to say, thank you, church family, for being there for me and being a, a, a place that walked him through that. But I want to encourage you, Jared most experienced the power of God during the most difficult thing he'll ever walk through. And you might be here and you might be thinking, man, I'd love to experience the power of God, but I can't right now because I'm going through something so hard. And I just want to encourage you, it's when you're going through something so hard that you can most experience the power of God. So take the time, remember how he's worked in the past. Make sure you're not fixated on some smaller thing where his power might be right in front of you. And then ask him, God, open my eyes. I want to see your power. I want to be like Mary. I just want to be that dialed into you. I want to know where you're at work. I want to see and even believe when I can't see it, you have a bigger plan. And even if it means going through a brain surgery, even if it means being unsure if I'll be alive in two months, I trust that you know what you're doing in my life. And God, I just want to see you even when nothing else makes sense. Well, there's a fourth thing Mary did to not miss the train of God's power in her life. She moved her will. And physically, she moved her body and she moved her resources, that very expensive tens of thousands of dollars of perfume, and she joined her power to God's power. I mean, think about this. That little jar, those 12 ounces worth tens of thousands of dollars, that was probably Mary's most valuable possession. It was all that she had. And to her, it was a big deal, but to the world around her, the bustling ancient Rome and Greece and Egypt, one little jar of perfume was not that big of a deal. But to Mary, it was everything. And maybe you look at your problem or you look at your kids or you look at people in your life making dangerous decisions or you look at even the racism and the hatred and the division in the world and you just think like, I'm so little, what can I do? I mean, I'd love to see this stuff fixed. I'd love to see these things get better. But like my power is just a little 12 ounces. I don't have that much. And what Mary did is she took the little bit that she had and she joined it to the power of God. And that's how she experienced God's power in her life. You know, I mean, she literally physically joined her power to God's. And every time you go out and you invite someone to an Easter service, that's essentially what you're doing. Say, I don't have the power to raise this person from the dead, but God has given me the body and the resources of health and time that I can go and I can invite them. And then I can pray and maybe I can see God do a miracle. 
I just love this idea that, you know, Mary's at the table. I, I love picturing it in my mind. There's Lazarus, there's Jesus, there's Judas and Peter and John. And, and Mary, she's dialed in. She sees what's going on with Jesus. She's like emotionally, he knows he's going to the cross. I, I wonder in this moment how alone Jesus felt. You know, sometimes when you're following God, you feel like you're alone. Here's Jesus. He knows that in five days, he's going to be publicly stripped naked and mocked and beaten and killed and carry the spiritual shame and guilt of the world. He knows that's five days away. And his closest friends, he knows one's about to betray him. The other 11 are caring more about the taste of the food and the crowds outside. And here's Jesus. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. He has all our emotions. And there's just that one person, Mary. She sees where he's at. And she comes to him and, you know, it's this reminder for me that if I will, if I will, when I see where God's at, join him, it actually does something in God's emotions. Do you, have you ever thought about that? Like, think about how this affected Jesus emotionally. When everyone else doesn't seem to understand what's going on, and then here's Mary, and Mary's like, I see you. I see where you're at. Now, he's almighty God. He doesn't need us to see him. But scripture tells us he has all the same emotions we have. And just think about that. When you ask God, God, open my eyes, show me what you're doing, and then you join your body, your will, your resources to say, I want to join my power to yours. Have you thought about that lately? That Jesus is alive in heaven right now, fully God, fully man. He's watching you. He's connecting with you. And you have the power in your free will to say, I'm going to bring a smile to your face. I'm going to care about what you care about in my world. I'm going to join myself to you. And what I love about this story is Mary could have been at that dinner table and she could have been like, she could have had all this happen in her heart and had a moment, you know, like, wow, Jesus is here. My brother's alive. Wow. That would be good. But she takes it to the next level. She says, I'm going to exercise my will and I'm going to think about what's the most valuable thing in my life and how can I as an act of worship say, Jesus, I don't just see you, but I join you and I worship you. And so she moves her body. She gets up from the table and she goes and she finds this jar. You know, I, mean, I can see her pulling it off the shelf. It's like, this is her most valuable thing. And then she says, I'm going to take my most valuable thing and I'm going to take it to Jesus. And it might not be much to the whole world out there, but it's all I have. And I'm just going to pour out everything I have at his feet. And that's where you experience the power of God in your life. We experience his power when we follow him and we'll show you a video in upcoming weeks of a couple in our church who were financially in, in pretty heavy debt and they joined our Financial Peace University class that we do a couple times a year here. And in that Financial Peace class, they learned God's principles of how they could pay down their debt and they paid off $45,000 of debt and they were just recently on a national radio program with a guy named Dave Ramsey. And we'll show you the video in a few weeks. But it's just beautiful to watch this couple. They're normal, just like us. And they had this area in their life where they're following Jesus. They're seeing his power in their marriage, in their habits, in all sorts of areas. But their finances, it was like just this one area that was in bondage. They couldn't get it free. So they joined God with their will, their body, and their resources. And they said, Jesus, you show us what to do with our finances. We're going to look in the word of God and whatever it says, that's what we'll do. And in 10 months, they were able to pay off $45,000 of debt. That was not an easy thing. They sold a bunch of stuff. 
They went down to one car. They gave up all sorts of stuff to just say, we're going to do it your way. And now they're completely debt-free. They're one of dozens of families that are going through this process here every year. And the point of the story is this. They are free now because of the power of Jesus, but also because they joined their will, their body and their resources. And so here's the thing. You can know about the power. You can even see the power. But if you don't step out in faith, you won't experience the power. You see, God, he's sovereign and he doesn't need us per se, but he responds to us. It's a relationship. And your obedience, God responds to it. When you step out in faith, God responds to it. Think about the faith that Mary expressed here. She didn't just feel gratitude toward Jesus. She expressed it. Well, there's a fifth thing to know as you access the power of God, and it's this. You can expect some opposition. I talked about Financial Peace University and the dozens of families every year who go through that material and they get set free from debt. Here's a very common thing for those families. They start down that road, they start to make progress, and guess what happens one or two months in? Transmission goes out on the car or the water heater breaks. You know, Some big expensive repair happens and there's a little setback and it's a test. And they have to decide, are we gonna keep doing it God's way? And here's what I can tell you. If you get really serious about accessing the power of God for your marriage or to get set free from an addiction, or to really be your source of peace instead of your circumstances, if you start to make some progress, the enemy will oppose you. We saw this in the story. Lazarus was raised from the dead, and these opponents say, then let's try to kill him. But they never did kill him. And here's what you can know. When you step out in faith and you say, God, I want to experience your power, so I'm going to step out in faith, opposition will come, but don't let it paralyze you because it won't stop you. Because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. So that opposition will come. But as you continue to say, no, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to let him be my identity. He's my purpose. He's my meaning. He's my significance. I don't need that addiction. I don't need that thing. I don't even need that person to tell me I'm valuable. I find all of that in him. You step out, there will be some opposition. And guess what? In the opposition, you'll see God's power again. You know, maybe, you, maybe it is your finances. You say, okay, we're going to do financial peace and start to handle our money God's way. We're paying down our debt. Now the transmission goes out on the car. Guess what? Now you've got an opportunity to gather your kids around the table and say, guess what, kids? Mom and dad have this area where we need to see the power of Jesus. We don't know how we're going to pay for this. And you go to your small group and you share it and you pray. And, and then God shows up and he does a miracle. And guess what? It becomes one more of those things that you remember God's power is real. He shows up when we need him the most. The enemy's real and active and powerful, but even more real, even more active, even more powerful is the victory of Christ on the cross. Well, we looked at a story that happened Saturday night, 2,000 years ago. Now, I want to close with a story that happened this upcoming Friday, three years ago. It's a true story of a guy named Shane who we've been able to baptize here in this baptismal. Shane Scruggs was a meth addict. And here's a little bit of what he wrote to me this week. He said, I was saved at the age of 46 and I'd been addicted to meth since the age of 19, addicted to alcohol and other substances since the age of 12. Here's a picture of Shane for us. He says, my life was a bottomless pit. 
Finally, I got arrested and I was held accountable. And, and the story goes on that the probation officer said, Shane, you've got two options. Either you go to prison or you go to an addiction center. And Shane writes, he says, I actually was leaning towards choosing prison because I figured maybe I could get meth in prison, but I knew I wouldn't be able to get meth at an addiction facility. That's how broken he was, how hopeless he was in the chains of that addiction. Well, a relative took Shane to the Salvation Army. It's a ministry that we partner with. In fact, very often you'll see this whole front row full of guys from the Salvation Army. And Shane went to the Salvation Army and in a class, he says the teacher was talking about grace and freedom and surrender. She asked if anyone had any questions, so I raised my hand and asked her to tell me, what is grace? I mean, think about that. There's, there's just people out there in our neighborhoods, they don't even know what grace is. <laughs> they don't even know what that is. Shane had no clue what grace even is. He said, she explained it to me and it planted a seed. In fact, I obsessed about it. And once I started learning about it, the devil started attacking me nonstop. He was telling me there's no way I could change. It was almost like anxiety attacks. I knew I had believed in God, but I couldn't keep it. That's when I met Bruce from Connection Point. Bruce explained what faith is, and that's really what I needed. He also taught me about obedience, and that made all the difference. The date I gave my life to Christ was three years ago this Good Friday. I now attend church consistently. Since I gave my life to Christ, I've married a Christian woman. My kids are back in my life, and my family is coming back together. My mother, who was an alcoholic and was suicidal and depressed, I begged her to come to church and she joined me and has started attending church. Now her life has been transformed. My recovery is benefiting others. I now lead a Narcotics Anonymous addiction group that is Christ-centered. And I want to show you guys a picture of Shane today. This is the power of Jesus. It is alive today. I just know that, you know, whatever's broken in your life, he wants to show you today. If you'll open your eyes, if you'll believe, he can raise dead things to life. And I know that in our seven Easter services, starting five days from now, there's just hundreds of people in our community. God wants to bring them here and he wants to raise them to life, just like he did for Shane. So would you join me in just closing out just in a spirit of faith? Say, God, we want to have faith like Mary. Would you guys pray that with me? Lord, across this room, God, you see the brokenness in our lives. You see where we need a fresh encounter with your power. God, we need it for our thoughts. We need it for our emotions. We need it for our finances and our health and our, our habits. We just, we need your power. Lord, would you help us to remember it? Would you show us where we've been fixated on smaller things? Would you open our eyes that we might see you would you just plant faith in our heart that we might believe bigger? God, would you, would you give us the willpower? We wanna exercise our wills to join you where you're at work. We give you our bodies, our resources, all that we have, we pour it out at your feet. Would you use us? God, I just pray this week that we would be so expectant for Easter, that in every one of these seven Easter services, you're gonna raise to life things that are still dead in us. You're gonna break chains of captivity that have still been holding us back, chains of fear that you're gonna break, chains of shame, chains of unforgiveness, chains of bitterness. You're gonna break those chains, God. And Lord, we just know, just like Shane, 
There's just hundreds of Lazaruses out there in this community and they're spiritually dead, but you want to raise them to life. God, would you just use us, lead us to them in grocery stores and in our neighborhoods and in our cubicles, in our schools and in our homes. Would you just bring to mind people we know from years ago who need you, Jesus, and we will join you by inviting those people. And then Jesus, would you do the work? Would you do the resurrection? There's power in your name, Jesus. We believe in you, Jesus. We believe in your power. We want to encounter it again. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.